Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that there is a little bit of joy and a lot of beauty in your life right now. And if there isn't in these moments, because I know it is a very difficult time on earth, but we must never forget that fear is something that is just an illusion. And we must ask ourselves, like I ask myself every day, is what is our purpose in this life? Is what we are doing every day bringing us closer to fulfilling our soul mission? Or is it actually taking us further away? I think that is one of the most important questions that we can, as human beings, ask ourselves. And also, in the pursuit of peace and this sort of momentary happiness that comes in this world, we must follow the dictates of our heart. Because we all know, deep, somewhere deep inside of us, what is our reason for being. And if we try to run away, we will suffer. When we align ourselves with that particular mission, we find this eternal peace within our hearts and our soul. Now, I am so excited, and you all know out there how excited I get about my guests, but I'm actually super excited today because I have a fantastic guest who is all the way from New York. And he is the extremely talented, and I have to say a little bit enigmatic, Vincent Lin. Vincent is a composer, author, actor, filmmaker, humanitarian, and world martial arts expert. He has appeared in many well-known films, amongst them Tiger Cage and Operation Condor. It must be mentioned also that Jackie Chan has said that Vincent was one of the best fighters he has ever worked with. As well as being an actor, Vincent is an acclaimed musician who has performed in prestigious establishments with Grammy Award-winning artists, and his most recent concert was in Carnegie Hall. In 2019, his humanitarian work led him to be voted in the top 100 human rights defenders by the International Human Rights Commission. He has completed 
many dangerous missions, and one of them while he was a bodyguard for a VIP in Ghana, where Vincent visited a shelter where there were 20 children which had just been rescued from slavery. This, and many other events in his life, inspired him to promote awareness and to raise money for rescue and recovery projects of trafficked children. He knew that helping would alleviate the suffering of these poor children, and this was to become his life mission. In turn, this has led Vincent to start a non-profit organisation called We Can Save Children, whose mission is to rescue and recover children in Africa and the Middle East. And there is so much more that he does, but I will leave it to him to share the finer details of his extraordinary, often dangerous and very brave life journey. Welcome, dear Vincent. Thank you so much. That was a, a wonderful um, introduction and much appreciated. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you, Vincent, for joining me today, because um, I am really honoured to have you here, truly. Of all the most amazing and remarkable and really heroic things that you have done, I am, as I said, in awe of all of it. And I'm so grateful that you managed to find the time to actually share this sort of time in your life in this moment. Thank you. I, I'm very humbled and honoured to, to be here uh, to share it with everybody. Thanks again. Oh, now, tell me, we've got to start somewhere. Your <laughs> life is fantastic. Your story is the things that I don't know. It's like watching a James Bond movie. Um, <laughs> that it really been, is. That I've been told before. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> If but we only. don't want to let, let, let all your secrets out. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's very funny, uh, Mimi, is that a lot of people still, and these are close friends, um, still wonder what it is I do. I just actually saw my brother. Um, he lives in South Carolina and um, we're very close, but unfortunately, we don't get to see each other as often as we'd like. And um, we, we saw each other just a couple of weeks ago because we were both uh, visiting my father who lives in, uh, in Florida. And my brother said to me, he says, I, I got to ask you something. He says, I, I, people ask me, hey, how's your brother? How's he doing? What's he doing? And he says, I never know what to tell him. I said, he says, I don't know what you do. He says, what do you do? <laughs> so, so, you know, we spoke for a couple of days and uh, I tried to explain to him kind of what I do. And he says, okay, uh, I, at least I know a little more, but he says, I still don't know what all that means, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of my friends just, uh, you know, many of them just say, you know, there's a lot of things you're not telling me. Are you a spy? Are you a, a spook? Are you a this? Are you? I said, come on. I said, you know, you can go online and read it. He said, yeah, like I'm going to believe everything that's written online. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It is. It reads. Um, it it has to be made into a film. I have to say because <laughs> um, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, 
my goodness, look at all of this. And it's, it is like an adventure. And you're very, you are very enigmatic. Um, Even though there's a lot of things that um, you speak about and all of the, you know, fantastic work that you do, there's so much there behind the scenes. And I totally understand why Mm. people have that feeling. Of course. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm even trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Don't grow up. That's yeah, well, the point. <laughs> well, that's that's for sure. Yeah, I'm trying not to. Yeah, don't grow up. That's the trap. <laughs> yeah, that, it is certainly the trap. <laughs> that is the trap. Now, you have a very interesting also start to life. Now, you have a fantastic name, Sir Vincent Raymond Percival Lynn. Yes. Very What British. a name. <laughs> now, how can someone with a name like that not lead such a extraordinary life. The name actually has given, you know, the stamp, the seal of approval. <laughs> you know, we were talking, I have to say to the audience out there, we were talking earlier and I said to Vincent, you are the golden child because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look oh, at dear. his name. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the name I, well, the Vincent was from my father. Mm-hmm. And his father was named was Vincent. Um, Raymond, I don't know. That was a given name. The Percival, though, was uh, my grandfather on my mother's side. His name was Percy. So a very English name. Um, and then the Lynn, of course, is the family name. But interestingly, the Lynn, <clears throat> because it's on my father's side, my father's Chinese, um, like many names, when my grandfather left China, he came first through San Francisco at a time when the Chinese were being used basically as slaves to build the, the railroad. Um, and so when he saw the way people were being treated, especially Chinese, he said, no, this is definitely, I'm not staying here. So, but when he said what his name was, you know, Lin, they wrote it down phonetically the western way you would write it down so you know either it's lyn or lyn which mm. is us- which is usually used more in ireland um but so yeah so a lot of the family on my kept the lyn and then many of the other side of the family of course it's ling so so yeah so in my passport it's lyn lyn okay yeah, L-Y-N, now yeah. And your mother is British. British. She grew up in Huddersfield in Yorkshire. Ah, okay. And you were born in Yemen. I was born in Yemen, of, yes, of all wonderful places. Of yeah. all the most mystical places. <laughs> mystical. Well, yeah, <laughs> mystical for sure. And, I, and, and funnily enough, you caught me on a day. I was just at the uh, meeting with the minister of Yemen um, this morning at the Yemen uh, UN consulate so uh, so I was meeting with him again and uh, we discussed obviously the unfortunate situation that is going on in Yemen yeah yeah so So tell tell us pray do tell tell us let's go back let's go back let's go back Um, because look at all these things that you do I mean you're an actor you are an acclaimed musician. Mm-hmm. You are 
a humanitarian, a filmmaker, a composer, an author, a martial arts expert, etc., etc. Come on. We need to know where this all started. This is just like a Pandora's box. Okay, where it started. Well, mm. uh, that actually, that's a pretty simple answer because I was fortunate to get um, both skills in terms of art, martial arts from my father's side of the family that's been in, uh, we can actually date it back to the beginning of the Ming dynasty in 1368. Um, and on my mother's side was, was the musical uh, talent. She was actually my first uh, piano teacher, um, but her and her sister were an actual famous, um, they were child prodigies. Uh, they were obviously both uh, children of World War II. Um, so, you know, growing up under that horrendous time as ch young four, five, six-year-old children. Uh, but they <clears throat> became very, very um, passionate uh, musicians. And between them, they actually played like eight or nine instruments. And they won like national accordion championships. I know my mother was the European champion um, and they had their own uh, children's hour for the uh, radio show for the BBC. Um, and they opened for a lot of very big names. One of them was obviously the British um, comedian and singer, Max Bygraves. Um, so yeah, they were extremely talented and Obviously, that's where I got my musical abilities from my from my mother's side. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Obviously, it took much dedication on to study both martial arts and music. That really isn't enough time in the day to to give to both art forms. Um, but yeah, I did. And there, today, there's, you know, 50 years later, there's still passions that I practice on a daily basis and kind of use in my in my life now did you grow up in england i did you did uh, okay. i did yeah formative years were growing up in england um, mm -hmm. two years of course were in yemen and then we lived in khartoum in sudan uh we were in libya um algeria but yeah i would say you know, from a young age of like four until 16, which is when my parents emigrated from the UK to, to America. Yeah. So and, lived, lived yeah. In, yeah, lived in Oxford um, for a time, lived also on the uh, Royal Air Force Base in Abingdon, uh, but Oxford in Acton, and then um, lastly was in, in Kew, Kew Gardens. And sorry. How lovely. Yeah. And I saw that you studied at RADA. I did. <laughs> that's very posh. Yeah, that, that is rather posh. Well, that's kind Isn't of like... It? And you did education like, lessons. <laughs> I did. And I, I got distinctions. But that's also posh, like, you know, living in Kew Gardens, right? one of the most posh well, places in England. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
it was a must. <laughs> yeah, it was a must. Yeah, thanks to my father's hard work, I guess. Ah, <laughs> uh, and is this, um, Vincent, what actually then um, inspired you to start your acting career? No, not at all. Um, ah, no, not at all. I. Um, it was great that I, I was able to have that experience and fortunate to be able to take those exams and all that. But uh, it, it certainly wasn't um, because my main focus was still was very much music. And of course, when we came to the United States, um, I got accepted to Boston Conservatory of Music. So that was my focus was uh, piano performance and composition. Yeah. So it had nothing to do with acting that came kind of vicariously much later. So when you graduated from mm -hmm. school, yeah. um, what did you do then? Where did that take you? When you say school, you're talking about university? Yeah. Okay. Um, I um, was, well, after university, I started uh, actually teaching for about a year or so in a, in a martial arts school in Massachusetts. I was also, um, you know, competing at the time. Um, the music kind of had taken a, a somewhat of a, a back seat. And interestingly about both the martial arts and music, they've um, flip-flopped throughout my life. One has taken precedence over the other. And it's not that I have stopped, but you know, it's after that, as I said, and started teaching, it was around that time that uh, I got an opportunity to uh, go to Hong Kong. Um, and so I kind of jumped on it and uh, went to Hong Kong. And through kind of a number of trips back and forth, um, you know, eventually, I got signed um, to do my first film, which was in 1988. Um, and I thought that as I had gotten this opportunity, I had left many students that I was teaching at the time back in the States. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to do this one film, get it out of my system um, and come back and, op and then open up my own school. But of course, that it didn't happen that way. and um, one film became, you know, 30 films, and it, it just became this snowball uh, effect. And it, it became a little, I would say, very surreal at the time, because, you know, to go from, you know, making very little money, I was, you know, in my 20s, and then all of a sudden, you know, all this money is being thrown at you, and, and all these kind of avenues to jump off from doing film because then I started modeling. I got assigned with the elite modeling agency. I was doing television commercials. And, and then I also got signed with Polygram Records to write for local artists uh, and teamed up with a very, very famous Hong Kong uh, lyricist. And uh, yeah, so it and it happened in a relatively, I guess, short time, you know, over four or five years. So, you know, to make 
hardly anything and then you're making millions of dollars it's it's a kind of surreal you know and it, it got a little as you can imagine it kind of mm. got a bit heady and i kind of ran away uh, i got kind of lost in that whole mix you know this kind of whole kind of uh, i don't know what you want to call it self-engrandizement or lost in the whole entertainment um world yeah so um when i look back at that period of my life i think to myself goodness you know what um i'm so glad that i was able to be in that world but at the same time um i wish i had been a little more smarter in certain decisions that i made i guess but uh, it was all part of my life experience yeah. absolutely and hindsight is a wonderful thing yeah. <laughs> it's a it wonderful is. thing <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um now how many of these films i mean you have done so many films but how many actually were you um involved in playing major roles uh well i would goodness um there were 20 hong kong films and then of course i did other films uh outside of hong kong but most of them uh, it, for example the first film i did um mm. was with the one of the most famous action directors in the world called yun wo ping and he was responsible for doing films like you know the matrix uh trilogy and uh my goodness, uh, the films with Quentin Tarantino and uh, I mean, really, really famous action director. Um, and I got this role as playing the lead villain. So and it, it was his comeback film. He was the one who was responsible for starting Jackie Chan's career. And um, it was a film that he used basically every major Hong Kong film star of that genre. And so to be in a film that be became internationally successful throughout Asia, um, I kind of, you can't go down from that. You can only go up. So being that was the first film, you know, every film that I was in after that, led to um, co-starring alongside Jackie Chan, which is, you know, another, was another ma amazing experience. So to answer your question, I, yeah, I co-starred in nearly every film that I did. It's remarkable really how our life takes us in a certain direction because you've lived that life of fame and you know, you were and you are well-known, you're famous in your own right. And then on this completely different scale of life, you are someone who is heavily involved in humanitarian work. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So how did that all transpire? Uh it happened i can tell you exactly january 2015 so that was what eight and a half years ago um i had after when 9 11 happened uh in new well in america in new york here 
a year after 9-11, I started a uh, security company, um, really working with the kind of wealthy New Yorkers protecting their children and, and so forth. Because at that time, um, America, especially New York, uh, the country was, the world was paranoid that there was going to be another attack. And so um, uh, a colleague of mine said, you know, you should start a security company because, you know, everything is about timing. Um, and so that's what I did. I actually moved into New York and started this uh, private security company. And from that, it led me to, um, to do close protection, executive protection for VIP families. And I was um, with a very wealthy VIP family from Sweden who were building infrastructure. Uh, and when I say infrastructure, clean water, uh, sewage and shelters and schools in um, East and West Af Africa, specifically in Ghana and also in Kenya. And um, so we were visiting those two countries. Um, and when we arrived, part of the trip to Ghana, uh, we were visiting a, a shelter uh, that deals with rescue and recovery of, of children who have been rescued from child slavery. And uh, here I am doing this job of exec of close protection and um, but I had never witnessed seeing children um, who'd been rescued from child slavery you know I had never come across this before so seeing these kind of scantily clad you know um, traumatized children who you could just look in their eyes and tell the horror and and terror that they have suffered um i got very emotional and i got choked up i i was actually starting to tear and i was about to cry but obviously here i am doing this you know job yeah and uh i can't let that happen and so i had to look away you know and get myself back in 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 the job zone but the day that happened um seeing that look in the, these young children's eyes um, it's stayed with me until now probably it will always be with me because uh, i've seen that look uh, many times again uh, in different countries um, obviously most recently in ukraine uh, but that day changed my life and from that moment on i i wanted to try to help in any way I could. And it, it took me from many, many countries, from Thailand to Myanmar, to, to Lebanon, to Palestine, to Iraq, to Iran, to, um, yeah, it took me all over the world in terms of many conflict countries, many countries where there are um, wars and conflicts and children who are suffering or have become orphaned from conflict and, and then have become refugees and so forth. So it, it, it was um, 
a very difficult path because um, it was a lot of it was a lot of uh, mistakes made, and obviously just geopolitical situations current that are in certain countries you know that wanted help and then some didn't want help because of corruption and bureaucracy and i mean there's so much to it i'm you know i Mm. could write a book and i have written two books on my uh, humanitarian work that were published i actually wrote them during covid um one is what are the names of the books vincent the first one was called uh, childhood lost which was specifically on my humanitarian endeavors. And then I did a follow-up book um, called Generation Hope. Um, So yeah, uh, they're both out on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. So, so yeah, I, um, that's, yeah, that's brings me up to, you know, the work is an ongoing process, uh, not an easy one to say the least. but I'm a firm believer that, um, and I, I guess I've realized also, it's, it's not possible to save everybody. It's not, the UN can't, could ne- can never do that. UNICEF can never do that. All the billionaires in the world could never save every child. Um, but I, if, if I can save one, then it's then it's worth it because you never know that child with the right love and care and compassion possibly you know they can do wonderful things with their future so i think it's uh, important for me at this stage in my life to to give back in any possible way i can and um Obviously, my life is, I've put my life in, in danger quite a number of times. Uh, so I guess if I'm, if I'm to come back as a cat, I've only probably <laughs> got about three lives left. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I, it's heroic and it's noble. And I know that you spend months sometimes in these situations and they're life-threatening and dangerous. Uh, how yeah, how as much as you can of course and um you are able to reveal to myself and um the people out there give us an example of something that you have been involved with and what it takes um to do such a feat uh many actually many of these stories are not all but quite a lot of one quite a lot of them um, i wrote about in my the first book childhood lost so they're written in great in great detail in some of the chapters of Mm -hmm. that book of that book um i mean you know one one story could could take up half an hour but i mean briefly um Oh my goodness, uh, let's, gosh, I was. Um, I know there are so many and there, it, <laughs> it's asking you something which is, seems impossible now to explain in, in a paragraph, but yeah. just so that people can get a feel for you, 
and of course they can read the books um which mm. we can link to um in the episode and with all the other things that you do but something to get a feel for really what is an impressive life mission of yours that you have actually dedicated your life to serving the people right um oh boy well uh oh boy okay. what's your most dangerous one <laughs> oh you're, you're really putting me on the spot here uh, <laughs> you know i i think i would have to say you know wherever your life is is threatened yeah everyone is going to be the most dangerous you know mm. i i've i've been um i've been shot at um oh. I, i've witnessed genocide i've witnessed ethnic cleansing um uh, just too much brutality and too much suffering in places like you know south sudan and of course the, the situation in sudan again uh is yes absolutely awful um you know i witnessed just horrific things in 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 that in south sudan um and an actual my driver was killed there by child soldiers um a bullet ricocheted off the kevlar helmet i, I was wearing um so if i hadn't been wearing that helmet i definitely would have been killed instantly um you know in in iraq um roadside bombings and ieds um it just uh there's just a, too much to uh <laughs> i know I, of, I, I understand a lot, totally. of, a lot of things i i you know i beyond all those life and near life and death situations i mm -hmm. think I think what's even more important um, is actually the rescue and the rescue of, of children. The um, to see. So, were look. all these, Vincent? Sorry to interrupt you. Were yeah. all these missions um, to rescue children? Uh, yes, they were. Okay, so you're putting your life on the line. Um, in the most horrific circumstances to go in and rescue children from catastrophic events pretty much i mean it's um you know as as most recently in in ukraine and of course that war i was there twice last year we <clears throat> the team we were able to get out uh, mothers and their children um and obviously some of the I was, when the war started February 24th of last year, um, I first went to Ukraine a few months after that. And of course, I think the whole world were, was mortified at hearing these stories of atrocities that were being uh, done by, you know, Russian troops on Ukrainian civilians and, and women and children as well. And of course, we don't, Nobody wants to believe that these things are going on in the 21st century. Um, and later on that year, or last year, so after the first trip, uh, a, a number of months later, I was appointed Deputy Ambassador of International Human Rights. And uh, so I went back to Ukraine 
in July of last year. But obviously with the new appointment, I went back to a document atrocities that had happened and also to interview uh, families, especially mothers, surviving mothers or surviving, you know, children. And again, to try to uh, rescue and get some of the families, and I say families, it's obviously mother and children, to get them out of Ukraine, either to uh, Warsaw in Poland, or we also brought families to the capital of uh, Latvia, Riga. Um, but also, you know, was to document these atrocities, which I also spoke at um, and addressed the Houses of Parliament in London, or actually House of Commons. So, uh, and, you know, just to see the, the look when a child or the mother, you know, looks at you and, and just in tears, and you're in tears as well, uh, and they're thanking you just to get them to safety, you know, to get them out and to get them in a, in a safe, stable environment um i tell you it doesn't um anybody you kind of just you know break down and i'll always remember on <clears throat> one of the last trips to ukraine we got this family to uh to riga to latvia and it was a uh, this old kind of castle that was converted into a kind of a like a hotel or a motel and um and I remember that after the 20 hour drive out of Ukraine through Poland, Lithuania, and finally in Latvia, it was like 3 a.m. in the morning. And this 11 year old boy says three things to his mother. And I'll never forget them for as long as I live. Uh, and it kind of wraps up everything in a nutshell. He, she, and of course he was speaking in Ukrainian and a part of my, the five-man team or the the other team members of course can speak you know latvian ukrainian and russian and of course english so they translate and the little boy said to his mother he says why are they helping us and um, he said i don't understand why they're doing all this and then he said one thing that just will stick in my mind he says why are they being so nice to us so from an 11 year old boy to say that to his mom and then of course we heard this actual because i had interviewed his mother about how she got out and the situation in the city that she left um, as an 11 year old boy he had already witnessed um, his neighbors being executed, bombs dropping, uh, everything around his house being destroyed, Russian troops coming into his home, knocking his mother around, intimidating her, threatening to kill her children. Uh, so as an 11-year-old boy, he has seen already too much. And it'll take a long time, many months of compassion and therapy to bring that boy back um, to 
a safe world that we are, you know, presently you and I are, are living in, right? So, but that said it all, when the boy said, uh, why are they being so nice? It was as if everything he's witnessed um, once the Russia invaded has been traumatizing. He's just seen death and death and more death, you know? Um, and I, I, for that reason alone, um, if I only got that family, those two young boys and the mother out, then it, it's all worth it. I, I can't say anything more than that. Yeah. I don't even know what to say, Vincent, because mm. um, <laughs> what a story, what a life that you live. And it really is heroic. And I just wonder, as you were saying this and sharing with us, is are you in peace that you are doing this job? This, I don't know, modern day hero in effect. Are you in peace with it? How do you live with everything that you see? Uh, yeah, that, that's probably a very difficult question. Um, you know, there, <laughs> when I came back from South Sudan, and this was, I remember the day, it was Boxing Day. Not that we have Boxing Day in the U.S., but you know Boxing Day, of course. Yes. It was Bo Boxing Day 2016, and um, I remember it was 107 degrees. Um, and it was, it was like an oven. And I'll never forget it. The wind and the dust and, you know, the, the sand just blowing on you and you're just baking. Um, and I remember coming back after, you know, going through that kind of traumatizing experience. And I, I was in therapy myself for about six months um, because I knew that um, I recognized that it had affected me in a way that I need to get some, you know, some professional help. Yes. Not that I was going insane or anything, but I, I think, um, you know, I, I probably witnessed more uh, warfare than most, than many soldiers have. Because not all soldiers, in fact, probably only a small percentage actually go to war. You know, they can be in the, the military for many years and never have experienced war, which I probably is a good thing. So I, I've probably experienced more warfare than or witnessing it uh, than most soldiers. So I, I realized that uh, after seeing that, and also living through what I had been through, that I needed to, you know, seek some professional help to get through it. And, um, and so that's, that's what I did. And, and I guess each time, not to say that it gets any easier, because it doesn't, it never gets easier. Um, you still get emotional, I still you can't help but I don't care how tough one thinks they are you still cry and you still weep for especially when you when children are involved because 
you know, at least maybe adults, you know, they can run away. They may be able to defend themselves. But what, what can a child do? A child can do nothing, right? They are the ones who are most innocent and the ones who are most taken advantage of. Um, so uh, you can't help, I don't care who you are, but feel empathy and compassion for, for innocent children. Um, but what I do, what I have learned to do is, um, is to, after I come back, is to take some time out for myself and decompress before I decide to, you know, return to wherever. Uh, what, I, what I will tell you is, um, is that when I do come back, I have, I always have a hard time just jumping back into whatever regular schedule I was doing before I left. So I have a hard time being around people or in, let, let's say, a, a social setting because I can't, it makes me very upset and angry to when people are talking about or complaining about, oh, you know, um, my my steak was burnt or you know I, I you know how long i had to stand in line at the grocery store or s little silly things like that banality um, yeah. yeah 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 a absolutely idiotic stuff that we complain mm. about so i have trouble and so i i i just have to be decompress in my own kind of self before i can kind of be around other people and you know kind of deprogram yourself and realize that, okay, I'm back wherever, I'm back in London, I'm back in New York, I'm back around, I'm back in a stable, safe, the everyday normal environment. Yeah, but that takes a little, it takes us some weeks before I, I, I can do that, yeah. And how often are you going now to these different places? Uh, twice usually twice a year for example i i was supposed to leave for syria um a few days ago but um my father's health is a little ailing so i wanted to visit him and just uh and mm -hmm. then of course my brother came as well as i explained so i pushed the trip back until uh july so that's when i plan to go back to syria and lebanon and so forth yeah I saw that you were in Palmyra and um, yes, yes. Aleppo. I've been there. Oh, so, wow. What, what year were you there? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? I was trying to, you're going to laugh. I was trying to go through my photographs um, before the war. Oh, um, so you, you were there before 2011? Yes, yes, oh, before okay. the war. Because I was trying to find photographs. I was thinking, what year? Um, was that because I wanted to talk to you about it? Um, but yeah, I saw that you were there, and um, it uh, was a fantastic country. What can I say in Damascus and all these places? Um, well, there you go, you hit the nail on the head. It's that you saw it from a perspective of before the war that started in 11. I yes. don't know, I don't know of Syria before the war, I was uh -huh. there in 2019 and I was there in mm. 2021. Mm. Um, so I, through my eyes, I have seen 
uh, an absolute total destruction of a, of a country that was once, through your eyes, once one of the most beautiful uh, in all the world, because it's interesting. A lot of people don't realize that before. It truly the, was. Yeah, it truly that, was. That before the war, Syria was one of the top five countries, most safest in the world to visit. And because of its, uh, where civilization began, you know, it, I mm. think I've done the history that Damascus is the oldest city in the world. It's like yes. 11,000 11, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm. So it's very, and to see now a country that more than 60% is uninhabitable is just, uh, it's absolutely, it's really uh, devastating. And it's just uh, soul, soul destroying when you, when you witness what's happened there. It must be, um, because I, as I said to you, I remember my friend had moved there. She'd married somebody and we had gone to see her. We spent about three months there yeah. and um, we went all around. Our, predominantly our base was in Damascus. But I remember we were talking to an old man and it sounds like a fairy tale, but really it was. And he was the keeper of a very spiritual place um, it, because it has so many very holy sites and, mm -hmm. you know, spiritual places there. And I remember he said to me, mm, that the legend was that where Angel Gabriel had put his hand to stop the murder between Cain and Abel, because right. because all of these, where this mountain mm. is, is where all the prophets and saints and holy, holy people had walked. And there was a few drops um, dropping from the ceiling of this cave. And he said to me something very interesting. And he said he was very, very old. And he said, you see these drops? This is the mercy. And I remember I was with some friends and I said, what do you mean? And he said, this is the mercy. These are the tears of Damascus. Mm. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, this was flowing. But he said, remember my words. Soon, this country will not be able to be recognized. There will be atrocities. It will be over mm. when the last drop has fallen. And I went away, Vincent, thinking I really believed him. I, he was so convincing. Um, and I wonder, soon I'd be very curious to know what year you were there. Yeah, I'm going to find my photographs. I was looking okay. for them last yeah. night wow. um, so that I could remember because it's so many photographs, so many things and so many places I've lived and mm. been that um, I thought I've got to find these photographs because I, I you know, I know that you were there. So yeah. I've got to because well, you know, you, you, it you, was you, nothing. What you, you, you talk, were um, no, you in Palmyra, it was about... a completely different place. Oh no! Well, ISIS, you know, ISIS um, took took over Palmyra. They they basically killed everyone in the city, and they used Pal they used Palmyra oh. they used Palmyra as a base of operations, um, and so their mark, you know, uh, of ISIS the fl the flag and the um, their name is carved into many of the stones in the city of Palmyra. Yeah, uh, you know, so. And they, we stayed with Bedouins there for a week. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they, and they executed many, many people, um, you know, by the hundreds in, in oh, the tragedy of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, my goodness, crazy. Uh, and I could talk for days with you, really. <laughs> I um, could too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really could, and ask you so many, so many, so many things that are. I don't. I don't even want to because water it down because it's it's such a short time that we speak and but i want people out there to know what a fantastic work you're doing but also even you know speaking about it in such a short time i don't want to lessen the effect of what you do because one simply couldn't put into words the type of you know heroic really heroic work that you do thank you much appreciated um and I know that you also, um, I want to mention this, you know, before we finish um, today, is that you also have your own organization called We Can Save Children. Is that correct? That is very correct. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. It, it, again, it came out of, you know, the the idea of how how was I going to get started in this kind of kind of crazy world of humanitarian I mean, humanitarianism and uh, i started uh, this nonprofit we can save children um oh six seven years ago um and uh it's taken me basically all over the world um to many of these conflict countries um and uh i've you know i've been able to get lots of help and funding uh through the years um but i i i will say as i mentioned earlier it's just not you know not possible to to help everyone and so my kind of focus has in order for me to i guess to do bigger things and help more I've just lessened the focus and just focusing on uh, a number of, of countries. The most recent, actually, um, mm -hmm. I partnered with a, a UK charity called Help Children Now, uh, and we were able to um, kind of facilitate um, getting 30 female athletes out of Afghanistan. Uh, after President Biden issued uh, the order to that all the troops, both British and the US, were going to pull out of Afghanistan on, I think it was the end of October of 21. Um, I think many of us remember the disaster that unfolded. And so there were thousands of Afghanis trying to flee, many of them uh, escaped, became refugees inside Pakistan. And of course, you know, females, especially females who were playing sports, that's basically, you know, a, a death sentence. So um, we know of this female cyclist and boxing team that had escaped to Islamabad in Pakistan. A couple of them actually had been caught by the Taliban and were beheaded. Um, 
but it took us a year before we were able to find a, a stable country that would uh, resettle them. And finally, uh, the UK uh, stepped forward and uh, signed off. And so they got to the UK well, probably about six months ago. And um, so I was also <clears throat> in London uh, to speak at the Houses of Parliament because they had a big kind of, I guess, celebration and so forth that was held in London uh, for them. And a few of the uh, Afghan females uh, were able to speak and address Parliament. And I know the BBC did a, um, a, a piece on, on, on their resettlement. So that was, I guess you could call it a, a, su a success. I mean, I never know what to call it, but we got them out, and that's the that's the, the good thing. Yeah. yeah, I. What do you call it? it it's it's well, a tremendous. It's it's tremendous what you're doing. Um, well, I, I don't. Thank you, but I, I just yeah I I don't look at it like it's tremendous or it's this great thing. I just um, because, um, I, you know I. I Many times I can say, well, okay. And there are certain people that will say, okay, you got 30 out, but what is that? That's like a drop in the bucket. I said, well, yeah, that's true. But it's 30 less than, you know, because if we didn't get those 30 out, they would have ended up like the two who got uh, caught, you know. So, uh, so better that we got them out. And so, I, but I don't look at it like it's tremendous. I just think, thank goodness um, that we got these out of the country and um, we were able to get them to a safe and stable country that would uh, accept them, you know, because that's also another thing that people don't understand is that many countries will not step forward. You know, the United States did not step forward on that. They should have because they're the ones that caused the problem in the first place, but they wouldn't even lift a finger. So there's lots of politics involved and bureaucracy. Um, at I can highest, imagine. Yeah, at the yeah. highest degree. And a lot of people don't realize that. You say, oh, you go, go to a country, you put them in a suitcase and you bring them over. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. And I think about what you do and the work that you're doing. And I know people are saying, well, what's 30 people? No, that's absolutely not correct. Because mm. I remember, oh, many years ago, I was speaking to somebody who was involved in many sort of rescue missions. And um, they said to me, and I asked the same question well, what's the point? Um, and he said to me, there is a point. Of course. Because even if you say, and he said a very old saying, if you save one person, it's as if you've saved the whole world. Right. Well, that obviously that we know that saying from many cultures, you know, mm. it's obviously comes from the Torah, you know, but it's, it comes from many African cultures as well. Yeah. You know, if you save one, you save the entire world. Yes. Yeah, so, or you save the village, you know. So, yeah. And also, the other thing is that we can, for us who live in a, in a 
stable country, whether it be UK or America, you know, um, if we turn the, the table and I said, how would you feel if all of a sudden a, a country invaded this one and now you became destitute, destroyed your home, took everything you have, left you with nothing, and now you become a refugee in another country. You either escape to Canada or you escape to Mexico. I know you can never think that would ever happen. And maybe not, but just put yourself in that position. You would hope that a neighboring country would allow you to come in or a neighboring or a neighboring country or a neighboring government would go out of their way to see that you got something to eat, you know, so it can happen to it happens more than than often. So it can happen to anybody. So you would hope that there would be other people who would care enough that they would go out of their way to to help, you know. Um, we live in hope. We live in hope. We know that the reality um, can be quite daunting and quite heartbreaking. But if it wasn't for people like yourself, Vincent, um, it would be even worse. So this gives a glimmer of hope in all the hopelessness out there in the world. In its, how can I say, in its darkest days, I mm. suppose. Yeah, and you know there are a lot of dark days. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of dark days, yeah. but we have to, we have to live in hope, and we have to be that hope. And you are that hope. And um, I thank you again really sincerely from my heart um, for joining me today. And I definitely want people to look up what you do. So please um, give the um, details of your um, work with the children. We can save children. How, is there a website? Yeah, it's simply wecansavechildren.org, O-R-G. Simple. Okay. That's it. That's it. And what about you personally? If people um, want to know more about all the other things that you do, your music, your books, um, your acting. Well, that's easy. You just have to Google my name. <laughs> and all of it will come up. A lot of it comes up. Yeah, too much. I, I, in fact, you know, every six months <laughs> or so, I'll Google my own name just to see how much more silliness is up there. And I, I, and I wondered to myself, I'm like, who is doing this? Who has the time to write about me? I'm like, come on, stop, stop this. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> but don't, look, you are the golden child. It oh, has okay. to be like that. Not the golden, maybe silver, maybe bronze, but not the golden. <laughs> no, no, no. It is the golden child. Okay, I, I will say that. But right. um, thank you. please do come back again, Vincent. And we'd love, we'd love to. You know, I thank you truly from one soul to another thank you for everything that you're doing that so many of us would love to do but it's not our destiny to do so thank you for doing that thank you mimi thank you very much much and let's uh, definitely stay in touch for sure for sure and i wish you a beautiful rest of the day in new york thank you and like whereabouts are you in england anyway uh london Oh, you are? Okay. Well, then, therefore, uh, next time I'm in London, we'll definitely 
grab coffee together. Let's do that because yeah. I have to find out more and we will swap photographs um, on <laughs> yes, different definitely. ventures, on the more nicer pleasantries of life. That's true. Well, I know I have to be in London at the end of uh, September, so definitely we'll So we'll let's get, do it. I will, we'll do that. By then I will have a little album of, of little things to show you. All right, excellent. Look All right, and take care. You too. Thank you All very right. much. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Vincent Lynn a true modern-day hero. Extraordinary what people can actually live through and live to tell the tale, as they say. Thank you, as always, for joining me today. And I wish you beautiful moments and beautiful memories. Until next time, lots of love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life. Brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovik.co.uk.